This is a conspiracy. That's what this is. One big damn conspiracy! And everyone's in on it! I know what's going on. Did IQs just drop sharply while I was away? person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. Did you see the memo about this? Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. Don't you see what this means? Welcome to episode five of your Missing the Point podcast, where we discuss the weird, the wonderful, and the downright bizarre aspects of life as we have conversations with people from all over the world. Today, we are joined by a fantastic guest I've been waiting to have a conversation with. She's a teacher, homeschooler, mother, and wife. You may know her through the panel podcast Feed the Beauty, her joint podcast, The Retro Marriage with Her Husband Bob, and her Instagram account, That Retro Homeschool. Let us welcome the humble half of the moral household, Kaylee, aka. Mrs. Moral Bob. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on, Kaylee. Thanks. That was a great intro. <laughs> I need to have you write my Instagram bio. <laughs> Took a little bit of time, but yeah, perfect. <laughs> um, so I thought it would be great just to have you on for, after finding out that you're a, a private school teacher for quite some time and myself being a, a government school teacher. Uh, I've had to change my vernacular around public school because I've very much realized that it's not public, it's actually government. But anyway, I thought it'd be a great conversation uh, with you on today just to compare notes about uh, the educational system within Australia and America and kind of compare apples and oranges between uh, what we've learnt in our time as teachers. Perfect. Awesome. Um, Can we start off with a bit of like a backstory? Like what made you start your career in education? What drove you? What motivated you to study in education? And what really made you become a teacher? So my teaching career is a little bit different. I was a teacher at a private school at our church. My dad is a pastor. And so as a pastor's daughter, one of your jobs is all of them. So I um, sang on the praise team and taught Bible studies and was a teacher at our private school. And I just ended up really loving it. I love kids. Um, And I was homeschooled during my growing up years. So that's kind of what led me down that path is not really having an option. (laughs) (laughs) So you kind of grew up with that just as being a part of it. Right. Yeah. It's actually quite funny. A lot of the teachers that I, I know are generational teachers, like their parents were both teachers and they end up being covering that themselves. But my experience is very different. I became a teacher uh, later on in life. I studied as a mature age student. I'd been in different careers. I was in the air force, um, worked in, timber mills anything everything under the sun really and right as once I met my wife who was a teacher that I decided to go down that route as well well that's amazing Um, yeah um so in when you mean private school was it a a denominational school was it did it have a religious yeah it was a private Christian school for sure we were Pentecostal my family is still Pentecostal um and the 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 school was a part of our like outreach so that was a way to pull families in and get them indoctrinated you know 
the good old American way. <laughs> Sounds like a perfect way to bring people in. Now, did you right. go? Did I tell you you would have went to a university to study or or college? Or I college? didn't. You didn't. I did ah, not. There we go. No. So yeah. Is, so the the laws for becoming a private school teacher here are pretty loose. Like all you have to do is teach an accredited curriculum and te- in Texas teach citizenship. Ah, interesting. And that's about go. it. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think we're, my situation is Australia, we're very, very regulated. Like, I, I dare say you'd understand by seeing what's been happening here in the past couple of years. But, yeah, um, we have to attend university. It has to be a, a four-year degree. Um, it includes kindergarten, which I was, I've got a dual degree in, so I was actually teaching within a kinder setting while I was still studying my primary or elementary school degree. And, Wow. Yeah, ours is really regulated in comparison. And I think that's the way it is for um, public school here. Oh, okay. Um, right. In some states. I know Florida is lifting that because there's such a, a shortage on teachers. But in Texas, it's pretty loose. <laughs> well, everything's <laughs> bigger in Texas. It sounds like things are actually better right? there by the sounds of it. <laughs> well, I, I don't know about that. But <laughs> to have a private school, you're you're pretty good to go. Maybe that's the way that things should be here as well. And we'll get down to that, some of those uh, aspects in a little later on. Now, my belief is that a lot of people end up becoming teachers and they go in for all the right reasons. They generally want to work with kids. They, they have a rapport with children. They go out and they want to make a difference. I know right. that's my, been my experience. I became a teacher later on in life, that mature age student after career changes and I've always been great with kids. I've got nieces and nephews everywhere. So I grew up mm-hmm. as an early teenager with little kids around me. Um, and yeah, when I met my wife, it just seemed like the natural direction to go in. Do you think that's changed in the past 10, 15 years? Are you seeing people or do you know of people who are teachers that are going in for the wrong reasons? I don't know what the wrong reason would be. Um, I feel like society is just so much worse now than it was 10 to 15 years ago and I think people do things a lot out of selfishness so it could be just like I'm a teacher look at me instead of doing it for a purpose it could just be for the status yeah that virtual signaling and yes I think you see it you see it a lot and a lot through TikTok and Instagram where you see it's predominantly from America uh, with yeah. the gender gender ideology and they're talking about how they were talking about their preferred pronouns with their students. And that's just blown my mind within the last 10 years. That that's the type of thing that, you know, teachers just don't discuss with their students. When I, when I was in school, um, my, my personal background is a little bit uh, crazy. My mom is an addict who lives in Detroit. So I went to public school there. Um, and then my dad is a pastor here in Texas and I went to private school and then it was homeschooled. Um, but when I was going to school, I didn't know much about my teachers. Like we didn't know the personal lives of our teachers. Yeah, so hearing that... all of that come out is really strange. Like, why are you talking to children about any of your personal life? Yeah. I think that the, the main things you knew about your teacher was whether they were married or if they had kids or, like pets. maybe what their yeah pets their favorite yeah. sport that type of thing like it's very surface level um, yeah yeah now we're getting a, a really kids are getting a snapshot into the personal lives of teachers they really shouldn't be getting and that's a big concern it's so crazy it's really creepy too um, it's weird <laughs> very weird so you went to a, a public school 
I as did in Detroit. What was yeah. what was that experience like for you as a student, it, as a child? It was awful. And I like I think I went to one of, if not the most, like the poorest school district in Michigan. And Michigan is one of the poorest states in the US. So I was one of the only white kids and I was very bullied for that. And then my mom being an addict, like I had a really rough home life. So I would fall asleep during class and I would try to sneak food home because we didn't have food for my sibling. Um, and I was just in trouble a lot. Um, so it seemed like teachers there didn't really care about the student, but how they looked as a teacher. So like meeting grade averages and what you're supposed to, where you're supposed to be like grade levels. Um, it, it wasn't really about kids. Yeah, and I I understand that. It's I was a public school kid myself, and even as a, a a government school teacher today, it's so heavily regulated. With you need to hit these hit these targets, you almost get like a quota. You have to hit a quota of certain things that, that must right. be met, and that almost gets prioritized over students' well being and their learning. Like if you're teaching to a set curriculum, that, like that's all very well and good but it's taking away so many other opportunities from what a child can learn. They can't go beyond that deviated, very narrow focus, which is right. It's so detrimental to children's learning. It's, it's just insane to think that kids should all be at the same level and progress the same as every other kid their age. It's just in what other area of life are we like that? Exactly. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Like if you're not married by 30, you're a failure. I mean, that's just not how life works. No, that's it. Life is different for everyone. We all have different experiences that that shape who we are. And to have a cookie cutter approach to every single child, every single person, that's just wrought with disaster, isn't it? Oh, it's crazy. It really is crazy. Let's have a little bit of like a reflection. This might be a little fun opportunity. Try and reflect back on two teachers that stand out in your memory. So when you think of your education, one that was really influential and supportive and helped you in your education and one who was like a really bad memory, something that you you wish you never experienced. Would you like to start? Oh my gosh. Yes. So I guess we'll start with the positive. When I first moved to Texas and I was in um, private school and I wouldn't even say, I don't know if I ever had like a truly positive teacher that made me want to be better at learning or just as an individual, like, I don't know that I had that sort of experience, but the teacher I had when I did first go to private school, um, she was very compassionate to my situation and where I had come from. Um, cause I was in fifth grade at a private school and their curriculum they use is basically a year advanced. Um, so coming from being in fourth grade, I didn't know any multiplication. I didn't really know how to read well, like all of those things. She was very, just com- more compassionate and more lenient and gracious in how she handled me versus the teachers I had previous years in public school. So, I mean, that was good, um, but still it just, I don't think it was a healthy approach to education, like pushing kids that far. Um I don't know. And then I guess the flip side of that would be the negative. And um, I had a teacher's assistant in my fourth grade um, in Michigan that was 
just completely awful. She was really, really mean. She was trying to graduate. So she was only there to get um, credits. And one instance that stands out to me is we were writing reports on like a superstar movie person that we loved. So I was writing a report. I did not have electricity in my home um, because my mom was an addict. And we were doing it all on computers. And I somehow lost my report and not knowing anything, being 10, 11, without a computer and electricity at home. I was on, like, the internet trying to find my report by just searching in names. And she yelled at me, like, screamed at me in front of the entire class about how stupid I was. I would, like, you're looking for your report online. Do you think anything you write would ever be published? Like, you're just insane. And that was so just detrimental. Like, after that, I didn't even want to try. Like, what's the point of even trying? How dehumanizing that must have felt. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, already having, like, the rough bullying I did from, you know, not having clean clothes and not having food and just kind of being the odd kid to then that was just horrible. Especially, Especially the message being that I think the understanding most kids have is, like, you're your life background, your, your house might be rough, but school's supposed to be that consistent place, the place where you're heard, the place where people care about right. you and people there to look out for you. And when you have someone that's in that position of power to yeah. knock you down. It's, and she was younger. So everybody, all of the girls especially thought she was just so cool because she's in college and, you know, all of these things. And to have her yell at me like that instead of, I mean, you'd think somebody would notice like my home life was not great. To just have a little bit of compassion and it just was not there. That's absolutely so that terrible. Was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I might start off with my negative so we can finish this this trip through memory lane on a positive. So I would have been probably seven or eight years old in primary school. And I can remember it really vividly, like out of all my education. It was a parent-teacher information night. So your parents go in and speak to your teacher about how you're progressing academically and how you're going. And my teacher sat down with my mom and dad and told them point blank that I wouldn't amount to anything that I'd better start. They'd better start looking at getting me a a manual labor job because I didn't have the intelligence to work in any kind of field that would require mathematics or reading or writing. And the best I could achieve for in life is operating heavy machinery. And I could see the absolute look on my mother's face and maybe not understanding the the concepts of the conversation, it still hit home for me, the gravity of what was being discussed, I felt at that moment. That is crazy to just decide that when a child is in eighth grade, that's and Yeah, that's uh, yeah. when I, I was eight years old and they, she'd already made oh, those. Ass- yeah, so she made already made a little kid. She'd already made those assumptions. About oh, my gosh. My, so. I'm that, really and, curious what your mom said to her. Like, I would just go off (laughs) I think she was just shocked she didn't know what to say and and I think a lot of parents have the naivety that the teacher knows best the teacher's the professional and she just sat there as a society we're like that with doctors and anybody who holds any form of degree is thought of as the authority and that is just when at the end of the day really the biggest teacher you've got is are your parents it's not the person the stranger that you're in a room with five days a week exactly Mm -hmm. so so I went from that horrible experience and primary school was 
I absolutely hated from then on and I wasn't the best student in that regard. And then I jumped forward to the teacher who's, who I actually have contact with today and I've actually taught alongside, which is really funny. Uh, in high school, I was in, I was in year nine at that point. And this teacher, she put so much time in, into my needs as a learner. She saw that I had some deficits in literacy and numeracy. And I would have been, if you look at it on a, on a paradigm of how many years behind, I would have been probably three years behind academically where I should have been. And within 12 months, I'd, I'd grown, so to say, those, those three years in that time, just by the input this teacher put into me. She fostered my creativity, my questioning, my curiosity. She encouraged me to look for research and find answers outside of what the class had. So right. I, was, I was a kid that would visit the library and just put my head in books or jump onto the internet at that time and, and just randomly search for things. And I think that really put me on the journey as to where I am today, that I'm always questioning and, and looking for answers beyond what's given to us. And ironically, That's so going, important. Yeah, absolutely. Ironically, going from a teacher who said, you won't amount to anything. I went into a multiple careers. I went into the Australian Air Force, Royal Air Force, got out, went into university, was a high distinction student throughout university. So I really wish I could find that initial teacher. I know I have the show same thoughts. Like, I happened. wish I remembered her name. Like if I could just remember your name, think you I'm- would get a strongly worded letter. Yeah, it's probably traumatizing that we've locked their name out of our minds. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Uh, how about a? So we've gone from that. Let's talk about the history of education. I don't know if if you know much about it. I think you probably would, considering you're a homeschooler and and you're the better half of of Moral Bob. So you definitely he does like to say stuff. that. Yeah, he does like to say that. Um, the pro- the Prussian model. The current education system that's in place since the late 18th century, early 19th, still around today. Essentially, it's a factory model. It's designed to get children into a system where they can be numeracy and literary literate people so they can go into a factory. You'll see that in the timed recesses, lunches, bells for when you get up and move, moving around the school. Bathroom breaks. Yeah, exactly. It's all around an industrialised factory model. So let's look at that. Look at what a, a Prussian model is and let's compare it to, say, a more traditional model like homeschooling where homeschooling is really, it is the original education. It's what you would have in the tribe. You would learn from your elders. You'd learn from your parents, cousins, um, all sorts of people. Like kids aren't designed to be around people just their age. Exactly. That's one of the things that drives me crazy because, again, in what other area of life are we only around people our own age, not in the workplace, not any anywhere else, like not in the family? It just doesn't happen. So why do we why do we pressure kids to only be around kids? And like we use that standard for um socialization, which is just a taboo word in our house. Like, don't <laughs> say that to me. <laughs> like, do not. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so nuts that we it's with teaching them to be drones in a lot of ways, because I know that as a kid, I loved going to big family gatherings. Like my dad's one of nine children and I'd have cousins ranging from younger than I am all the way up into like their thirties. So the gap of cousins in ages, people interact with that gave me a really rich, (laughs) hate to use the word there right now, socialization. 
I yeah. interacted with people <laughs> that were from different uh, different experiences and different ages, and that helped me shape my interactions with people. Whereas you do see kids today that because they've been around people only their age all the time, I think it absolutely saps their creativity. And each year I've been teaching, year after year, it's an unintended side effect of that and other things, but kids are less imaginative. They've got such a narrow focus of their understanding. Exactly. Like not only creativity, but also their maturity. So Kale's youngest, um, I'm not sure if he's told you about this, was taken from us and put into public school. We had him 75% of the time. Um, We were homeschooling him. He was five at the time, already doing multiplication, working on division, all of these different things, doing cursive. And then we got married and a month later she filed for custody and won with no evidence. And he's been in public school. This is his second year. Um, He's in first grade. He did kindergarten last year. And his maturity, as well as um, just his intellect, has gone way down to where this kid who was doing division at age five now only uses bathroom humor (laughs) and doesn't know how to read and I'm like what is happening so when you're only around people at your same or lower level you're you have nothing to come up to you have nothing to strive for do you think that he's actually lost it or do you think he's he's almost dumbing himself down because he has to interact with people around him who are at that level. And I think, he's, first- I think it's a little bit of both. So like in public school here, they teach common core math, which is like 18 steps to add two plus two. And it's just <laughs> a bonkers. Like, why are we doing this? Um, so I think because our Kale's oldest, our 10 year old was also in public school before I started homeschooling him. And I'm still trying to retrain him. Like you don't have to do 87 steps to add you don't have to do that. You can just add, like, it's fine. Um, so it's really hard to like unteach what has been taught the wrong way. So I don't know if he's just rewired. And then I think some of it is socially because wanting to fit in. Um, I know the whole bullying aspect, I'm sure we'll get into that later. Um, so I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's being taught incorrectly. And then also, just peer pressure, even yeah. if it's, you know, academically. Well, learning things can be difficult, but unlearning things can be near impossible sometimes. Like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. You see, even um, within the context of having students come through to me from other year levels or previous teachers, they pick up misconceptions about doing things from other people and it completely throws out their understanding of a curriculum area that you have to almost go back and strip, away, it. strip it away, reteach and, and learn right. again. Um. So the Prussian model, standard Monday to Friday, seven hours a day, that includes recesses and lunches. Mm. What does that look like in a traditional model of, say, homeschooling? So so we we homeschool, but because of all of the outside pressure we have, we're a blended family. So I have two, Kale has two. Sorry, Moral Bob has two. (laughs) (laughs) I've been saying his name. Um, So... Um, we have a lot of pressure to just do things um, in a more public school way to show that we are fit to teach our own children because we have, you know, custody battles. So we have a co-op where we have other kids here in our home that we also homeschool. And we use a curriculum um, 
the same one that I used in private school that is a year advanced because I just learned with it. I know it. I know how to teach it because it's what I use. Um, and I let them do whatever they want. If they want to come in and play or go outside and feed the chickens or do ukulele lessons or piano lessons or whatever, we just start where they want to start and we go there throughout the day. And that ends up making them want to sit down and learn because I feel like all kids are hungry to learn and like they need to be um, fed in a way with their mental capability. So they will ask, like, can we can we do some worksheets now? Can I do some schoolwork? And we will sit down and we'll just do it all together. And if they're not getting it, no worries. We'll just go back and we'll work on this area and we'll try again. So everything that we do here in our home is for the kids. We are here for them. So if you're not feeling it today and you're just really tired and you need to take off your shoes and go play in the mud, that's what we're doing. And if you want to walk to the library and just sit down and read books, that's what we're going to do. And that's how we spend our days. And we oddly get a lot of schooling done, um, but not not in a public school way. It's very different. I think you've hit a happy medium when you're trying to commit to being that standardized approach so that things don't have a negative impact on what's going on outside of that. You look at children today and because they're boxed into that, all right, we've got first two hours and then we have recess and the first hour we've got maths and the second hour we've got this. A lot of the educational theorists, and I'll use theorists very loosely, will suggest that having consistency and a repetition of um, that type of model is going to help students in their learning. Whereas, like you said, kids aren't all the same. They're not the same model. They're not a copy of paste of each other. That if a child has had a rough day or a rough night at home or they haven't slept because things are going on, they're not going to be coming in first thing in the morning ready to learn. No. Some some kids may need an extra hour or two hours before they, they can start their learning for the day. And that ability that you have, the flexibility that you've got with your with your kids and the whole tribe of kids that I hear that you teach, mm-hmm. that's that's perfect because they've got the opt-in. They've got that voice and agency that, that kids need. They need some kind right. of interest. They need a hook. They need to find something they want to learn about. And we, we've seen that in our history in the past before the Prussian model. How many people became apprentices because they were interested in something? Right. And they were little kids. They weren't like people in their late teens or early 20s, they'd just go off and they'd find a, a, a blacksmith or a baker and they'd take on a trade or they'd learn about something they're interested in and that would be the hook for them. And that's all very hands-on. And I think that's another one of the failures of the education system is we just slap worksheets in front of kids and we expect them to learn like that. But I, I can't imagine anything that I've learned and I'm a photographer and I had no experience when I first was interested And I tried to read articles and books about that, but nothing helped me learn photography better than getting behind a camera and doing it. And that's, I think, what kids need. I don't know very many people who are textbook learners. I think everyone on some level is a hands-on learner. You need to experience what you're learning about. So for us, teaching fractions looks like baking. You know, it's just more hands-on and we'll still do the worksheets to 
prove to a judge that we are doing something, <laughs> but a lot of our learning is off paper. That's perfect. When you said fractions, it just triggered a memory from me for the last week. I'm teaching visual arts for the first time and I've got an arts background, so it's fantastic. And it's a curriculum area where it's very gray and it's not as heavily regulated as other curriculum areas in, in Victoria. So I get to make the curriculum work a lot more. I get to make something out of it. And it's really interesting that I'm teaching visual arts and I had a, a year six um, group of kids. So the senior end of our elementary school, they came in and we're talking about mixing up a, like a plaster of Paris. So we could use it for sculpting and they couldn't apply mathematical language that they've learnt the whole, whole time at school that they've been exposed to multiple times. They know what it means, but they can't apply it to outside of a context of rote learning mathematics in the classroom. You apply it to a real life situation. They were flawed, but they didn't understand. Like you need to mix a 50-50 ratio. 50-50 of what? Well, 50 of water and 50 of the plaster and you mix it. That the ratio means mix of the two. And they're like, oh, okay. I'm like, this is the first time you've been exposed to it. So sorry, that yeah, that just that just popped into my mind. But well, when you've only seen it on paper, when it's put in front of you in real life, it's like what? Or you've just hear someone at the room parroting it to you and you parrot it back. It's a very different context. You have to get your hands dirty. I like what you said there. Mm -hmm. What about timetable play, rest and eating times? What's that look like in a, in a homeschooling environment? So basically the same thing, everything that we do is based on the kids and what they need. So when they're hungry, they can sit down and eat and I make lunch for them all at the same time, but a lot of it is come and go. The same thing with our um, curriculum is a lot of come and go. So we'll go play for 15 minutes and then we'll come back and do five minutes and then we'll go do something else and then they'll want to eat again. So I think like people ask me what's the most expensive part of homeschooling and it's food. <laughs> it's food. They just love to eat all day. So yeah. And then rest. Um, my youngest is three and we have two other three-year-olds here and they definitely need a nap. So when they are tired, we try to do it in rotation so that everybody gets a little bit of one-on-one time um, for learning or music lessons, or we teach French. So all of that, they have that little bit of one-on-one time. So we'll just rotate and it's all depending on like who needs what. And they will tell you like when they're ready for a nap, my little three-year-old will be like, mom, I'm tired. I need to go lay down. I'm like, right on. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> this all sounds great, Kaylee. Um it's interesting. We've got our Victorian curriculum, which is elementary up through to high school. And prior to that, we have a play-based curriculum for our kindergarten. And because I've taught in kindergarten before, it's such an absolute waste that kids go from a play-based learning experience where they, they do have the option. They can, they can wander, they can graze on food throughout the day as they want to. They can go have a rest and they can choose what they want to do to go into a very structured, regimented, sit on the mat, look at the teacher Teacher will explain for five or 10 minutes. You go do the task. You show the task to the teacher. Okay, now go do another task. It seems so counterintuitive. Like logically, I know that that's intentional to get people who will just comply. Mm -hmm. Like you, you are only comfortable when someone is telling you what to do. Again, we see that with um, our six-year-old who is taken because he cannot sit still. He has to constantly be doing something and then he's not okay to just be bored. And he's always looking for us to tell him what to do. Like, hey, it's okay if you just sit down and do nothing. Like, it's okay to do that. And he's just, you can see how uncomfortable he is. 
So I know, like, logically, I know that that's intentional, but I don't know how anyone outside of the people creating that system don't see how wrong it is. So, like, if you, if I try to talk to parents here about homeschool, they, like, flip out, like, oh, my God, you're not educated. Those poor kids, how will they socialize? And not anything about, like, what socialization actually looks like in a public school environment, because it's not healthy. Forced interaction is not socializing. So. It's it's really interesting that you said that, like, the perception's always been for homeschooling. I think since since this uh, pressure model is introduced, the perception is that uh, if you homeschool your children, they're the weird kid. They they won't be able to interact with adults when they're older, which is so untrue. And the whole COVID lockdowns and remote teaching and remote learning, I think really put a nail in the coffin of standard education where kids' skills actually improved over the two years that they were away. They, They their growth in learning was better than it was when they were five days in the classroom because they were at home. They were, had some choice on when they did their learning throughout the day. And they also had parents at home who were actually really opting in and really invested in their children's learning. And right. we've seen that in Australia. We've had a 40% increase in homeschooling now. That's amazing. A massive jump. That makes me Absolutely so happy. Massive jump. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me so happy. Um, yeah. So I just don't understand a lot of because here I feel like because I um, I'm in a lot of Facebook mom groups and they're the worst place to be that is like the inner circle of hell mom (laughs) groups on Facebook but um, just reading these posts where moms are so upset with the system and I I don't know what to do how do I address that um, my teenage daughter only gets like five restroom breaks a day So she's not drinking enough water because she doesn't want to have to go to the bathroom and use up her time. And then you suggest, hey, have you thought of, you know, homeschooling? And they're like, oh, you're so privileged. How not everybody can afford that luxury and all of these different things. And it's just crazy. Like there is another option. Look into it for your child. Like if you're so unhappy with the system, you don't have to engage with it. That's right. But this, and they've been very clever with that, the way the system was built that the women's empowerment movement, the right to vote, the right to work, they weren't mm-hmm. completely um, in women's self-interest. It helped tax a second part of the population, got an extra oh, yeah. tax in. For sure. It took, it took mothers away from kids. It, uh, it made households depend on two incomes. And right. I, and it made I, marriages I, weaker. Yeah, absolutely. So now you have a divorce rate and then you're getting to sell twice properties because <laughs> families are so split that's it it's crazy but, but you, i can almost understand where they're coming from whether it's oh it's a it's a sense of privilege well there is a, absolutely a massive fear financially about if i stay home and and teach our child can we survive on one income and, and i think that holds people back a lot at very least yeah. at very least if your child's going to be in a, a private school, uh, a government school, what have you, as a parent, you have to be invested in your child's education. You can't just leave it to the, the school. As well-intentioned and as hard yeah. as a lot of wonderful teachers try, you cannot leave your child's education just up to the system, whether it's private, public, government or otherwise. You need to be invested no. in your child's education. And I can imagine that, like, kind of like you said about the women's lib, um, lib, movement where women are just so okay with 
dropping their kids off. And you know that first day of kindergarten where you see all the things about moms just crying and sobbing and the kid not wanting to go. And it's like, that's because what you're doing is unnatural. Like you have that gut feeling for a reason, but women have been taught not to listen to it. And it starts in pregnancy. So like, why do you need to go to a doctor to confirm that you're pregnant when you know that you're pregnant? Like you're just learning that everything about you and your body and your baby is up to someone else. And we learn that through pregnancy and childbirth where you can't have the baby your own way and you have to do it the doctor's way because they know best. And then it's just the same from there on out. And it's so toxic. Absolutely. My wife has a little analogy where she talks about the early feminists that they'd be rolling in their graves if they found out that women got all these rights, but they have to do 100% of everything all the time now. Oh my <laughs> they gosh. They don't have a choice. Yeah. They have to work. They have to raise the kids. They have to keep the house. They're doing all of it now. They, they don't get to yeah. choose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it definitely, just... ha- definitely has not had the intended impact that they that they envisioned in the past. It is not what, what it what it was um, presented as for sure. Sorry, I'm just going through my notes here. Let's play a little bit of word association. So I did this with a couple of other guests. Oh, it seems geez. to be really fun, right? <laughs> um, I'll throw a few words at you and you tell me what pops into your head and be completely unfiltered. That it doesn't matter. Oh, God. All right. Okay. Curri- curriculum. curriculum. I'm studying. Evidence-based. Oh, no. <laughs> that, that's enough. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, government school. Oh, prison. Private school. Prison. <laughs> Kindergarten. <laughs> Fun. Pedagogy. Uh, no. That's another no for me. <laughs> it's one of those, <laughs> those uh, education buzzwords that gets thrown around all the time, and I'm sure uh, half the people no. don't know what it means. <laughs> I just need uh, a red buzzer. <laughs> you, uh, standardized assessment. No. <laughs> no. Toxic. No. <laughs> Perfect. So, all right, let's let's go to standardized assessment. That got the biggest reaction out of you. What does that oh. look like in a homeschooling situation? I know you've probably got to meet certain criteria for it to work. Yep. Yep. Um, so, so, do you have a, a like a, a testing format that you have to do like once a year or something like that to show that you're meeting? So, the when goals? I I don't have experience with that yet because um, our ten year old is ours. We don't have to worry about that um but our two little ones are four and three and they're not even technically in school yet so that's not a concern yet I mean we're in a custody thing where we have to decide what's going to happen with their education um but when I personally was being homeschooled my parents didn't have to but they did do SATs with me periodically so not every year but about every other year just to see how I was progressing where I was at um and all of that. And I just, I can understand wanting to know where your kid is at. And that makes sense. And then as homeschoolers in a country that is not as pro-freedom as they claim to be, like it is a little bit scary and you would want to have that proof. And we should not be teaching children things just so they can pass a test. That is just not okay. You're right. only teaching them so they can get the right answers on the test to make you look good. You're teaching to that, the test then, aren't you? It's crazy. Absolutely it just not. blows my mind. Like, <laughs> so, so your SATs, are they um, 
within Australia and Victoria in particular, we have a, a test called NAPLAN where uh, it's every second year students have a, this government test to see if there's been growth over the 12 months in between. So um, grade three, grade five, uh, year nine, uh, year seven and year nine, uh, all the tests that they have. Is the SATs a similar type of thing? No. So the SATs, I think, are more for private school, homeschool students. And I know that they're, I can't, it's escaping me what it's called, but for public school kids, they have to do that every year. Oh, wow. And yeah. yeah and that's how you know whether or not you're going into the next grade. Is Oh, so you, it'll make, you actually hold kids back in the States. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I think that's maybe one good thing that we've got. It's relatively unheard of now to have, have a, a child kept back. Like, um, when I was in the classroom teaching, I had a uh, understanding level of students who were working at, say, um, a preschool understanding all the way through to kids who are accessing high school curriculum. So in that respect, we have to teach the whole gamut of curriculum and understanding. And our kids don't get kept back. Um, we really heavily have to differentiate our teaching to make sure that everyone's opting in and um, right. actually getting something out of their learning. But, whoa, holding kids back. So potentially kids can get hold back multiple times and graduate as a senior who's not a teenager anymore. Could that happen? Oh, yeah. Wow. Crazy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Usually, I think usually when people get to where they're not a teenager and they're in high school, they just drop out. Yeah. yeah. Um, But, yeah, that is a frequent thing where, like, kids in public school, like, in my class would ask, like, well, how many times have you been held back? Because they will, they'll hold you back and you don't have to redo it. And I mean, why not? You get paid for every student. So yeah, that's, that's a funding wow. benefit. Crazy. So America's absolutely littered with states. You've got so many states that take so on this many whole continent. states. So many states. Yeah. And Australia's, we're pretty much the exact same size as the US. And we've got a lot less states. We've got large, <laughs> whole swaths of land that become single states. And my understanding of the American system is that you have different curriculums based on different school districts and states as well. Is that true? I believe. Yep. Yeah. As far as I know, for I know for sure testing, all of that is different. Each state has its own different standards. Um, and I think curriculum is the same. Like, I think it's different everywhere you go. Oh, okay. Ours, we have an Australian curriculum and then my state is supposedly the education state they name themselves but we've got some of the worst outcomes out of any state in the country oh god <laughs> um so and we've got our own curriculum it's very close to the australian one anyway so essentially there's two in the country um but it i don't think it addresses the needs of certain areas like i can see the benefit of the way the american system does it that a school district might really narrow down their focus of curriculum to support the kids of their area um a child's right. Um, educational needs in Detroit may be very different from one living in um, Beverly Hills. The completely right. different worlds, different experiences, where in Australia it's the same across the board. You achieve this by this age, this by this age, and keep going, which I think is a big detriment to to how we operate and run things. Um, but I can see the argument why people say it doesn't work in America because everything's too different, which I think is it's, it's a double-edged I mean, sword. It- yeah, it definitely could be to where, again, we're just catering to the lowest denominator, and that's 
not good either. No, so it's not pushing kids in Detroit anyone. should be just as educated as kids in Beverly Hills. Yeah. And that's probably not true. I mean, if you're going to talk about privilege, we can start there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have clean water? What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I've just seen the footage with like all this money going to Ukraine. And then there's some big American cities that especially first world cities that have got brown water coming out of the tap. That might be a good photography experiment for me is to go to poor parts of America and pretend like it's Ukraine and see if people notice. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually that's Detroit. <laughs> yeah. Just take photos of it and they wouldn't even know the difference. Right. <laughs> oh God. So when you're, when you're thinking now about what could work in America education wise and if you had the power to what would you change about the american education system i'd nuke it nuke it i'd nuke it i feel like if it could be fixed it would be fixed by now so it's beyond saving want it i i feel like it is i feel like it was set up to produce the kind of people it produces and nothing about it is healthy um nothing about it i mean you could just look at america i'm sure from afar and see that it is not producing well-rounded, educated adults. So, uh, yeah, I would just say get rid of it. I mean, you just need to throw that bathwater out with that baby. And just start <laughs> over. <laughs> just start over. But I think the rest, of, the rest of the world really understands that Americans are patriotic and it's, it's America first in a lot of regards. But every now and again, you'll see one of those videos pop up on social media where there's a map of the world and can you point out Iraq or can you point out Australia and <laughs> they're com- pointing to completely different parts of the world. Yeah. Yep. So geography is a strong seat. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's just the whole system. I mean, and I feel like kids in that environment, in that public school environment, it's really just survival, right? With yeah. all the bullying and the testing and home struggles and all of these other things, like you just have to make it through the day. I'm not worried about where Australia is. Like I am mm. worried about all of these other things, like is school shootings and Yeah, I'm worried about getting just... my ass kicked at the lockers, so Right, right. <laughs> I don't care where the country is. I'm just trying to stay alive. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so I often think that is the, are the educational systems and the West is a shocker for it because we've all got this Prussian model in place. Is the system too big to fail? That there's so much I, invested in it, they can't admit that I that's, think that's you hit the nail on the head with the, um, with the patriotic thing. I think people are just so brainwashed into thinking that this is what we need and this is the way it's always been. And you went to school and you were fine. Um, so I think. People are just so brainwashed into the cult that is the education system to even see that there's a better option. And it's one of those systems that in the time I studied, we had two curriculum changes. So my state took on the national curriculum. And then when I stepped into the classroom, they ditched it because it wasn't good enough for them. There seems to be a thing in education where the new thing comes out and they try the new thing and then they, they apply it for 10 years. And at the end of the 10 years, they say, actually, that was detrimental to student learning. Let's go back to the old thing. <laughs> and then another 10 years will go by. Oh, the old thing didn't actually work. Let's try this bright, shiny new thing over here. And it's the same effect. It's They keep pumping more and more money year after year into education and the outcomes aren't getting any better. 
If that was a business model, you would have declared bankruptcy by now and admit that you're a failure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And the thing is, is like, I don't know how it works there, but here people are taxed. Like you pay a school tax and you pay to send kids to school and to do the school buildings and all of pay teachers and all of these things. And people just complain about schools without realizing that, I mean, you're paying for it. I mean, and that's do, your money. Do your public school systems have um, a school fees at all where parents have to pay, say, $300 for the children's resources for the year? Do they have something like that? Not public school. It's okay. all taxpayer paid. Wow. Ours is, yeah. um, we moved to a model where we had school fees for public schools, which is seems ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and now we're no longer allowed to ask parents for donations anymore they, they were called donations but it was a fee you had to pay to make sure your kids got books and we've moved away from that <laughs> now so schools let, i'll just put a random number let's pretend a school had a million dollars from all the school fees well now parents know that they don't have to pay it so all their government schools have got like 30 percent of what they would normally have funding wise and our teachers wow. in australia are quite highly paid compared to the u.s like i saw an uh, an equivalency of a US high school teacher and a elementary school teacher and their wages were so low that they could earn more working at McDonald's. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's that. And then if you look here, I mean, you know, um, football is really big for America, especially in Texas. Like that is the thing. So if you drive by public schools and you see their football stadiums, and they are so expensive. And you're like, how are you spending that much money on that? But we can't get security guards for school shootings. We can't figure that problem out, but we can build all of these auditoriums. And it's just crazy. It seems been, like- non, Non-Americans have been exposed to that through media, like television and movies where it's always the school board and they're discussing where the money goes to and it has to go to the football team because they're going to be state champions. So Mm -hmm. they have to cut budgets and that means the kids don't get a photography program this year or they don't get this, they don't get that. That's It's too real. So (laughs) nuts that they're they're prioritising one thing over the other where not every kid's going to be a football star, but you could very well have the next Picasso sitting somewhere in the school that just needs that chance and they're not going to get it because the programs are offered. Nope. It's all about mostly football. I mean, <laughs> if we're being real. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't mind American football. It's just rugby with helmets and armor on. Looks like they're, <laughs> you, it looks like they're laughing. It's like they're wearing medieval armor and running around just playing rugby. <laughs> well, I don't understand beating people up for a ball. I mean, that seems kind of silly. Seems like there would be a better use of your time. <laughs> you think so? But well, whatever. Hey, if the, the use of your if the use yeah. of your time's getting multi millions of dollars a year, I could see what's yeah, the, it's got a the purpose. NFL exists. So <laughs> just by that. So you're doing the one thing which I think a lot of people have turned to now after the events of the last couple of years that to change the system, you have to change the culture. And you can either believe in politics or not, but the saying is that politics is downstream of culture and if we do change what we're doing culturally if there is some kind of a hope for politics do you think change can be achieved by a tipping point of say maybe 30 percent of all americans start homeschooling do you think that would have an impact nationally oh for sure 
I think the more people that step away from the indoctrination camp that is public school, um, just the better society would be. And if you could take your kids home and if one parent could stay home with them, then you're just making your family stronger. And inevitably that would change your community. And that would, I think that would be a really healthy change for all of society. It's it's almost the saying that was, I can't remember what it's from, act locally, change globally. And if you're acting at a, a family unit first and then oh, moving yeah. out, that's going to have the biggest bang for buck that the time and the effort that you're investing in your child's learning at such a pivotal point in their life is going to set them up and then they're going to go out and take those values on out into the world and right. they're going to meet someone that's going to snowball. Everything starts at home. And I think I read a quote and I'll try to find it, but it um, says like, I always think it's weird when families are separated first thing in the morning. You think about that. Like the very first thing in the morning is everybody leaving and going and doing different things. And then you come back together and then it's time for bed and then you just do it all over again. So your family is just weakened by the simple fact that you're never together. It, It breaks my heart as a teacher. I've seen kids endlessly come in and they'll be in tears in the morning because they want to be at home with mum or they want to see dad or they just don't want to be at school. And you see that five days a week, seven hours a day. It absolutely breaks my heart to, to know that kids, they understand what things should really be like. They should be at home with their parents. They should be doing and all these things. And they don't get a say. Isn't and that crazy? Like yeah. they can determine their gender, but they can't decide to be at home with their mom. Oh yeah, crazy, isn't it? Oh, that's just, that's beyond the pale. They can't possibly be at home. No, that's <laughs> absurd. How will they socialize? <laughs> I think they you should, talk to all day. You should write a counter narrative book called Socializing. Oh, uh, yeah. Just so that just so that you have to type the word multiple times and cringe every time you do it. Oh, every time. It's like nails <laughs> on a chalkboard, just like, uh, don't say that to me. I've been, I've just been hearing it my whole life because I was homeschooled. And being a homeschooled student is just a completely different type of hell like that like mom groups are like the ninth circle of hell and then like being a homeschool student is like the seventh simply for the fact that people will just say anything to you like I would say would homeschool like we would go out we would go grocery shopping and part of my math was to add up every single item in the cart and this is another American failure where you don't know what the tax is on any given item because it's not there, you have to wait to the register. So you have to like try to guess what Whoa. the tax is going to be, right? And some foods can't be taxed. So then like part of my math in homeschool was adding up as we were grocery shopping to see if we were in the budget, you know, because my dad was a pastor. So like we had a strict <laughs> budget. And so people would ask like, what are you doing out of school? And I'm like, oh, I'm homeschooled. And they would just start quizzing you like, throwing out random math questions and science questions and like do you do this to public school kids like why is it okay for you to start quizzing me you're almost like a you social outcast yeah. they see you at that, like you're, you're an alien walking around and they they're like, just do you so entranced <laughs> like who do you talk to all the time who i'm just still blown away see? by that you don't have tax listed on your foods it's crazy. Although it's we we have a ten percent tax across everything called a general subsidies tax, so we're taxed for everything we buy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But at least it's listed. We know how much they're taking. You away. know how much it is. <laughs> yeah, you just have to kind of guess. Like you just round up to like the next dollar or dollar and a half. 
But you would have had the best problem solving skills out of any kid your age, I'm sure, at that point. I know how to see numbers on a budget. I don't know that I know how to stick to a budget, but I know what it is. (laughs) (laughs) So, how true does this does this uh, saying ring home that possession is nine tenths of the law? Right. That's what this average saying is. If if you've had it, it's essentially it's yours. Schools have your child five days a week, seven hours a day. You've got them on weekends, that half an hour in the morning when you're rushing to get them out the door. They come home for dinner, they go to bed. Who's really raising your kid? I say that all the time. Like, I will not co-parent with the government. Like, I'm not, because as I taught, when I taught at a private school, I taught kindergarten through third grade. And it was so funny, those first couple of weeks where the kids, the younger kids will call you mom because you're the one with them all the time and they're still learning like, oh, I'm not at home, whatever. But you can see them realize like, oh, you're not my mom, but you're the one giving me my lunch and you're the one teaching me and all of these different things. And it's crazy. It's just crazy to think that you've had this child since they were born and you've taught them how to eat, how to drink, how to walk, how to talk. You've taught them everything they know and now suddenly at five years old you're not capable of that anymore like your time for teaching them is done and that's just crazy like why do i have to do all of the hard stuff and then you get to do all the fun stuff like and that, they take the credit make any for sense it. to me <laughs> right yeah and, and then they blame you as a parent if something is wrong or something yeah doesn't work right or the, or the government this is a big one or the government blames the teacher for the yeah. system that's been built around them. That's a, a big right. thing that I'm seeing more and more. It's always the teacher's fault and it's never poor government choices. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know. And I, like, as a parent, I know that no one will love and care for your child the way that you do. Nobody. And I can say that because we have other kids in our home and it's just completely different. Like, those are my kids, and I know everything about them from day one. Like, I quit my job in banking to be with them, and there was not a day that my oldest son has been alive that I wasn't there. So I know the ins and outs. I know how you learn. I know how you think. I know what that look on your face means. And then just to give that over to somebody who knows nothing about them and expect them to be able to teach them all of these things that they're not, I think they maybe aren't equipped for I mean that's another thing right is we have this skewed scale of how children should be both equally immature and mature like basically kids work a full-time job and you you sit here and you learn for eight hours a day and you don't take breaks and you don't get paid and you don't get to go to the bathroom whenever you feel like you need to because you're not mature enough for that so that doesn't that to me doesn't make any sense it's so unnatural that we've thrown in this this approach to learning for what since the late 18th century up until now, and that's the smallest blip on the radar of, of humanity and how long we've been around and possibly even longer. And we think that this is the way to go, but we're completely dismissing our entire history and we've, we've done it differently and it worked up until then. Right. It's like you look at an animal, you see, it doesn't matter what animal it is, the mother and the father often they'll care for the young until it's developed, it's grown, it's learnt what skills it needs to survive, and then it leaves. 
Right. Whereas it doesn't go to some other we're like, expected animal. To, yeah, we're just yeah. expected to hand it over. You don't see a chimpanzee give their kid to an orangutan and go, go for it. Like <laughs> Right. Right. It doesn't make any sense. Like it's just so unnatural. Everything about it is unnatural. And Absolutely. you feel that, like in your gut on your first day of school in kindergarten, when you drop your kid off, like you feel like this isn't right. And you just ignore it because this is the way things are supposed to be. And it's mind blowing. It's And we are in Texas where um, Uvalde is, where we had that school shooting, the last one. Um, and I told my husband, I was like, you know, every parent in Texas that puts their kids into school in the next three weeks is a psychopath. Like you have to be a psychopath to see that, to realize that the risk is real. Like it's real, like whether or not, you know, that's a government show or whatever. Like I believe like legitimately it happened. And even if it didn't, everybody's supposed to think it did. So you see the risk and you're willing to gamble with your kid's life. And that's a uniquely American thing that, school shootings like it's just it doesn't happen anywhere else and well it's happened in in europe on occasion but it's so unheard of it it just doesn't happen in australia and just trying to put myself in the in the shoes of an american kid it's traumatic enough going to school trying to fit in with people trying to meet the expectations of the learning that's being put on you but to have the fear of i could go to school today and die that's overly traumatic i'm not with and the when i was in elementary school we didn't have that wasn't as big of a thing um and i was only in public school for five years um but like it was traumatic for me when we did fire drills like oh my gosh this place could catch on fire at any time but to then like anybody could break in and shoot you and you have to be prepared for an intruder they call them intruder drills now and like you're preparing kindergartners when they're five, like they still believe in Santa and you're teaching them about intruder drills. Like that is just such an atrocity. Like that is detrimental to childhood. It it should be illegal. Like, I don't even know, like you should be punched in the face. Well, it's just pushing fear, isn't it? It makes them more dependent on the system that we'll protect you, but the dangers are outside and we're the only ones that can keep you safe. It's that whole narrative that keeps going let's do a bit of a future projection at the moment the west we're definitely at a point and it's happening more and more with the 40 percent uptick in homeschooling within australia and i'm sure the numbers are very similar across the us canada great britain where have you we're at a, we're at a fork in the road we're going down two possible directions a direction of more and more people detached from the system they homeschool they build their own communities self-sufficiency, that ideal world that you're a part of and a lot more people are starting to wake up to. That's that's the ideal. Hopefully it gets to a tipping point where it changes society for the better. What's the alternate direction it could go, the complete opposite? What do you think education is going to look like in the next 20, 30 years? Oh, man. I don't know because, like, when I was in public school, there was no way of me even realising, like, school shooter... Um, just all of the horrible things that happen in public school. So I don't know. I don't know. Like, would it be a place where kids are being trafficked and they just don't come home? Like, it, could that be the 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 norm? I don't know. It could th- be could be anything. 
the horrors are just so so it's unbelievable what what could happen just by seeing what's happened in the last two years but the big thing that came out of it was as soon as teachers went into remote teaching I from the get-go said this is us we won't have a job in 10 years yeah. why would why would you employ 40,000 teachers across the state when you can have a quarter of that teaching remotely and kids could be still attending school, but they're looking at a screen of a teacher telling them what to do. And right. then the and next I think na- it force people to realize like this isn't what we thought it was. No, that's right. And what's the next step beyond that? No physical teachers at all. And it's an AI generated system that <laughs> either your kids yeah. are in a pod, then they're getting downloaded by Neuralink because Metaverse. Of Metaverse. <laughs> And then oh, we have a, we have we have a Wally society overnight where people are in floating chairs and are, are massively obese and health health issues are skyrocketing to unprecedented levels. That's the so America, yeah, that's so America, the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> the education uh, system brought to you by Walmart. Oh my gosh! Yes, yeah. Uh, see, we have Chick Fil A here, and they are so oh. efficient. Is that a chicken sandwich shop? Oh, yes. It's the one that, you know, if you eat it, you're a bigot, you know? Yeah. They're they're like pro-traditional marriage. So um, they are so efficient. Like you get in line and the line will be all the way down the street and they have you in and out of there in like five minutes and everything is always perfect. Always. And I think that whoever runs Chick-fil-A should run everything. (laughs) Like give that person just let them do all of it that might be the authoritarian dictator that comes out because they worked at (laughs) (laughs) chick-fil-a hey as long as they're efficient right everything is perfect (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm gonna have to go on a tangent now because we're talking about american foods i was in the states when i was 21 as soon as i i I had to wait till i was 21 so i could drink while i was over there even though i could drink since 18 in australia i got there Went on a Kentucky tour, which is like a, a guided bus tour around the States. And I started off in New York and went like, a Grand Southern tour down through Route 66 and went through back up to LA. I came across the weirdest takeaway food that I've ever seen that I only ever saw in two locations. Oh, Hungry no. Howie's. Have you heard of that before? Hungry Howie's? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, is that like the pizza place that didn't take off? Or are they more than yeah. just two? Yeah, they're kind of like the off-brand. <laughs> They're like, you know, the Walmart of pizza. <laughs> like they're not great, but they're there. So yeah, it's it's just seems so out of place. Like America's absolutely saturated with fast food, and Hungry Howie seemed to be something that they kept going for whatever reason. You know, I've heard of it. I've never eaten there, but I've not heard good things. But they exist. So. Yeah, crazy, absolutely nuts. This has been a great conversation. Let's let's leave on. Some advice we'd give. If you were to talk to someone who's pregnant or looking at starting a family, what's your advice to them about education? Don't give that baby to strangers. (laughs) (laughs) Don't give your kid to strangers. Um, Start researching. Just listen to your gut. I try to tell new moms that all the time. Like listen to your mom intuition. Listen to the intuition you have as a parent because it's there for a reason. And the more you ignore it, the less you're going to be able to hear it. So if you start listening now to what you feel is right for your kid that you know better than anybody else, it will only set you both up for success. 
And I can't imagine that anybody who truly listens to their gut as a parent from the beginning would put their kids into that environment. Awesome. And mine, again, would be, I know there's limitations around the system and the way the system's built, but if you can't get out of the system straight away, transition out of it if you can. Um, right. Work less day so you can be at home and have a blended education approach where your kid goes to school three days and they're at home for two doing home learning. Right. Um, don't leave it up to one people or one group. You have to be really invested in your child's education. Yeah. Yeah, we can't do that in the States. We can't pick and choose what dates they go. Oh, crazy. They have to go. Um, that was one of the things that they used in court against us for um, my husband's youngest um, was he was being bullied. With the, he had a kid step on his neck um, and he didn't want to go. And of course, we were a homeschool family, didn't want him to go. And then he was constantly sick. So we didn't take him and you will get in trouble like if your kids don't go because um state funding goes for attendance so if your kid isn't there by 10 o'clock they have to mark it as absent and they don't get paid for that day oh crazy yeah so it's literally a system built around farming of children then isn't it in the states right yeah and so then you can get true they call it truancy um where you get truancy letters sent home and uh the school district can take parents to court over not bringing their kids that, to that's definitely not the land of the free which i've heard so much about no of course not <laughs> <laughs> my god I, you, you hear about these things and you don't really understand until you speak to someone yeah all right i like to finish these shows off with what's the point of it all um in a few words if you could narrow down the point of education what is the point to it all um the point for education would be hmm it would be just be to harbor kids and their natural learning abilities, um, set them up for success. Absolutely. And listen to your children. Oh, yeah. They're, they're people too. They may be kids, they but they, they know what they need. They, they know right. what, that they're reaching for, what they're striving to be. Just listen to them. Yeah. And good things will follow. Yeah, of course. All right, Kaylee, where can we, uh, where can we find you? Where, where would you like to plug some few things? Where can we find um, your I'm your on Instagram at that retro homeschool and you can find me there. Um, I think that's it. I don't have an email or anything like that. We do have an Etsy shop where we sell um, some of the worksheets that we've made for our kids that they seem to love flashcards um, for like French, Spanish, um, as long as as well as English. So all sorts of learning resources that I've created and we try to sell those or digital downloads so you can download them and have them. Awesome. Make sure you send that link through and I'll pop it in the show notes for everyone. Perfect. Awesome. awesome. All right. And I'm Drew from your Missing the Point podcast. You can find me on Podbean, iTunes, and very soon I'll be transferring all my stuff over to Spotify, just having some issues turning it into the right format. Uh, Thank you, everybody, and have a wonderful weekend this week. Spend time with your children because you won't see them during the week. (laughs) Too soon. (laughs) Hey, everybody, it's closing time. You don't got to go home, but you can't stay here.